0: So, deep tech is here. Artificial uh, intelligence is changing us. We're going to take a look at um, what's with us here today and what's coming in the next few, few years. Hi, everyone. I'm Dan McGregor. Welcome to my podcast, The Wise Machine. Today, we're going to consider the topic, how IoT is understood by the wider world and how it's transformative. So, my guest today is an expert in North American technology trends. I'd like to welcome Dr. Sarah Glover. Hi, Sarah.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm a a big fan of this podcast. Excited to be here.
0: Thanks so much for joining us. And I'm just going to introduce you very briefly. And um, if anybody doesn't know, uh, Dr. Sarah Glover is a globally recognized speaker. She's a successful entrepreneur and uh, an an instructor at universities around the world. She's a business consultant. And Sarah is known for translating complicated technical trends into authentic discussions, which is what we need in these days. So uh, thanks so much for bringing your expertise um, to my podcast, Sarah. Um, Absolutely. Let's just kick things off a little bit. Um, You know, Nexiot is digitizing the global supply chain. And, um, you know, when we were sort of prepping or introducing each other, uh, you know, to the topic, uh, we actually, you know, mentioned this word IoT. It's one of these words that, um, you know, has been getting a lot of press over the last years. Uh, Before that, it was known as M2M. And, um, you know, obviously, it's also known as telematics and various other things, you know. And obviously, you know, humans have been interacting with mobile devices now for many years. It's a normal part of our life that humans are connected. Uh, IoT is connecting objects to uh, the Internet and creating data from those objects and so on. What I'd like to unpack a little bit with you today is, um, you know, let's try to understand the media's understanding of this and therefore, consequently, the, you know, the wider public and how, um, you know, this kind of perception of these technologies um, affects its adoption. How is it changing lives? Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe you could comment a few, make a few comments on that, uh, Sarah, for me and, uh, you know, and give me a bit of insight from your side.
1: Absolutely. You know, I love that we started this with a little bit of the tech trend buzzword soup that we all experience, right? The IoT, M2M. I mean, we could keep going, right? There's so many different names and terms and labels. And I I do think it's overwhelming for people, especially for folks who don't work with this every day, but who are trying to understand how it impacts their industry or how it impacts their daily lives. It can be really tough when, when there's so much language that maybe becomes a barrier and there's ways to simplify it. Unfortunately, some of those ways that we simplify it, uh, can start to create confusion. So here's an example I heard on one of your past podcasts, I think it was, you said you didn't like the term smart Uh, because we label everything, right? Everything is smart this, smart that. And I loved that you said that because I do think there's been an issue with, you know, folks in the media who are trying to help wide groups understand certain topics. They fall back on some of these terms, like like smart, or um, I would say disruption has been another one of these terms that the media is quick to use. And I think what it does is it adds a layer that's maybe an oversimplification of what the technology is. And it prevents people from understanding uh, some of the complexities that are are necessary to to the discussion if we're going to see real change. And uh, I'll bring up an example from one of your other podcasts. I think it was an episode that you were doing. uh, Maybe it was somebody from from rail. You do such a great job of bringing bringing in folks who come in uh, with expertise on rail. And of course, that has such an impact on the supply chain in the US. Many folks, I think, don't know that. And she was saying how uh, siloed the industry can be and that it's difficult to create change. It, you can't have an orchestra if not everyone has the same sheet of music. I loved that. And I, I think that's what we're talking about here. You know, the media is playing from one sheet of music. Technology experts have another one. It's just we're all using different language. We're not always understanding each other. And I, I think that that can make it really difficult to, to solve some of these problems that Frankly, need more than just technology experts in order to be solved.
0: So, is it laziness? Is it just uh, the natural challenge of semantics Mm -hmm. and change? Um, Is it because we like to have a simple story or we like to have a word that we feel like we understand because, you know, let's get behind the word smart or disruption. It's so overused. Yeah. Because Uh, like, you know, everything's smart, but you know, these are our devices. This is one of my, uh, you know, the the device that we've got 200,000 deployed of these on rail. It's a globe hopper three. And, um, you know with our device it has to be as an iot device has to be smart enough to stay alive because mm. we rely on the data to make the impact you know you don't mm-hmm. want to do it all on the edge because you know if you've got you know power problems you've got you know challenges with uh, security and all kinds of things um you know obviously it makes the device price point extremely high and if you're trying to do you know full fleet rollouts across you know hundreds of thousands or even millions of assets you know then But this word smart, you know, I'm happy with it being smart enough to stay alive, you know. But actually, you know, the big picture is about delivering value. And regardless Mm -hmm. of how smart it is, you know, it's only as smart as we design it.
1: Right, right, and it's only uh, only as smart as we design it, and only as smart as we use it. I mean, I think we see this issue in in the technology space a lot. Just because we can do something with technology, just because something can be smart, doesn't mean that it has to be. Uh, I did a lot of work with a, a fantastic organization called Riot. They focus on IoT and economic development, and they run a startup accelerator and great startups that worked with this organization. We'd also see some really interesting challenges where entrepreneurs would create something because they could and because the technology was really cool, but the the customer need wasn't there. It wasn't solving a real problem. I don't know that I need a smart toaster in my home, right? Yes. I just... Just because we can doesn't mean that we have to. And you asked a great question about, you know, is it laziness when we use this term smart or when we go there with technology or with with startup ideas, you know, is it laziness? And I I think it is more just the human tendency to try to simplify things in order to make sense of the chaos and change around us. Things are changing so rapidly. I don't have to to say that. We all know that Uh, the future's coming at us very quickly. I think one of your previous guests said that as soon as you're born, you're a dinosaur, uh, maybe came from a book that they were reading. Love that. It's happening so fast. And so, of course, it's helpful to have these terms that give us a shortcut for understanding. That's why every startup pitch that I'm seeing now is like, we're the Airbnb of this. We're the Uber of this, right? Like we go to this. What we know. know, To what we know. know. Mm -hmm. And I think the challenge, again, is while that can be helpful for quick understanding, It creates a quick layer for us to skate over that might hide some of the complexities that we actually need to be discussing. And I would even argue some of those complexities, that's where we can bring in folks from other industries with other backgrounds, social sciences that can help look at things and say, well, what if we did this? Well, what if we did that? But if we're just skating over it and saying, well, it's the Airbnb of this industry, we're not giving folks a chance to do that. So so I do think that there are some dangers there.
0: I really like those comments. And one thing that I've got in my head right now is, you know, this, this challenge of, we talk about big data. Everyone's been talking about big data a lot for, you know, and the value of big data. And then everyone's asking the question, how do we extract that value from big data? And then the next question is how do we integrate the domain knowledge from experts who know mm-hmm. what's happening into that big data discussion so that you've got supervised machine learning that actually works and so on. Yeah. So You know, my thing is that you don't know what you don't yet know. You need a clue, and then you Mm -hmm. investigate. And actually, probably, you know, the most interesting things are hidden in the 0.01 or 0.001% of the data. So just having big data is quite meaningless unless you've got the experts. And now what you just mentioned now is very interesting because, you know, maybe it's not laziness. Maybe it's actually almost a cultural war um between um the progressives the digital natives the ones that have been used to you know the the using and 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 quick updating and improvement of applications on the consumer side all their lives and you know, asking the question why is it that you know we don't have these tools in in business in enterprise applications and you know maybe in that cultural battle there's actually if somebody says the word smart then it gives them a pass Mm, Um, because mm -hmm. they're able to hide behind the word smart and everyone thinks that they know what they're talking Mm -hmm. about. But actually, it's not really getting to the bottom of where the value is coming from. And I wonder sometimes whether some people are, you know, have not enough to gain in their opinion by adopting these things. So they'd rather just, you know, sort of put this blanket term over it and say, yes, we're kind of doing it.
1: Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. I think that's that's a really great point. And for me, what that brings up is, you, you brought up a little bit about the culture war and the different types of folks that maybe are in these conversations. A lot of what I do when I go in to talk to organizations is look at the communication culture. Because often they'll hire me, they'll say, will you come in and, and help us talk about innovation? We, we want our teams to be more innovative. Let's figure out what technology or what training or what tools they need. And I go in and I do some exploration and it's like, we need some space to fail. We need some space for curiosity. Mm-hmm. We need some space for quiet. I, I'm going into these meetings and it's cutthroat. And as soon as one person stops talking, the other person's, you know, starts and, and, there's no space for that curiosity or or that failure of ideas. And without that, you know, if we have a big data set, we are going to need to do some exper- experimenting to find that diamond in the huge, huge mine, right? And so what do we need for that to grow? It's not always a new technology. It's not always some new training set. Often it's a let's look at our communication practices. How do we make sure that during meetings, we're inviting curiosity? Is someone able to raise their hand and say, you know, you keep calling this a smart solution. I'd love to explore what you mean by that. Can we dive into that a little bit? That way, instead of just skating over that topic, we're, okay, let's peel back the layers a little bit. Is this culture a safe space where, where someone can do that? And I would even add, Is it a space where someone who is a a female, a person of color, somebody who's from social sciences, the only type of X industry in the room, somewhere that they feel like they can raise their hand and do that? That's the place where you're going to see a lot of innovation.
0: I really agree with you. And something that you mentioned earlier is this diversity that's valuable for this innovation and this mindset around, uh, you know, progress. Um, And what we're talking about there is not, you know, um, Oh, how many diverse profiles can we tick off? We're talking right. about we're talking about regardless of someone's background, you know, are they able to contribute something unique to this discussion and challenge the status quo? And actually, you know, we're really having to build really multidisciplinary teams that we've never really built before. And, you know, actually, you know, some of the like, you know, Nexiot really, I founded it through naivety in the very best sense i would say say yeah because you know it was really you know it came down to this you know why is it you can monitor your pet in the garden your luggage just on the way you know your luggage in the airport your child on the way to school and your new shoes through the mail, your pizza to your front door, but you can't monitor a shipping container that travels around the planet. It just doesn't make sense. 30 million shipping containers, 5 million rail cars, 1 million uh, tank containers, and they're all super important to us in one way or another, and yet they're not monitored. Why is that? It doesn't make sense. And it's almost that outrage that helps us to focus on the big picture. and you know, able to question things so fundamentally. So the word smart would never get past me. How smart? Why smart? (laughs) Uh, How do we make it smart? Um, You know, what's behind smart? And why do we even want this? You know, it's the fundamental stuff that you need to tackle first. So it's this ability in the communication chain to drill down into that detail, to talk to domain experts and to talk to specialists from the business who've had their eyes on the problems and challenges the business faces for many years and then to zoom up to 30,000 feet and to make a habit of that and then to sort of look at this you know so actually maybe it's our the life cycle of incentives for humans—that's causing the problem. Because mm. we look for, uh, you know, a one-year project or a two-year, you know, time frame for uh, receiving our bonus um, or, you know, promotion in five years if you make a good job of it. But actually, we need to be thinking about thirty and forty years because we've got mega problems. So, uh, mm-hmm. does that make sense? I mean, you've got more experience exactly. of talking to people about these things than I have, so I'd like to know what you think.
1: Well, I love the way that you just said this uh, life cycle for incentives. I haven't heard it put that way, but I'm going to steal that from you. I'll give you credit, but I'm going to use that uh, because I, I really enjoy that phrase. I think a lot of times when I work with leaders on how they can start to adopt some of these practices so that their team members have this space where they can innovate This is one of the things that we have to talk about. What is the incentive for people at your organization to be innovative, to raise their hand, to ask a question? There are often a lot of consequences for those things. You know, if I raise my hand and ask a question, am I going to be the person that has to find the answer or am I going to be the person that's looked at as not knowing the answer? So oftentimes there's, there's actually consequences, not necessarily incentives. And so we have to move to, you know, how can we make sure that there are incentives that people are somehow rewarded for that kind of innovative behavior and what barriers can we get out of the way? And for a lot of times for leaders, it takes a little bit of work for them to get out of their own head because, of course, they're like, well, they need to be innovative. It's their job. Well, not necessarily an an incentive to raise my hand and ask a question if that's going to give me more work or if that's going to make my colleagues doubt my expertise. So we have to do a lot of work of helping the leaders understand what it's like to be in their employees' position, trying to raise their hands and ask those questions. And I think once we get them to open up, they start doing some really amazing things, changing the format of their one-on-ones to show that they really value um, how the employee is spending their time in that fail space or in that question space or that curiosity space, changing OKRs or, or other units of measurement to look at, you know, how is this employee able in their in their role to have some experimentation? You called your interest in your your company, that it came from you know, outrage of this why, I would call that curiosity. I think outrage is another great word, but I would just call that curiosity. And I think all of us humans innately are curious. And because of that, I genuinely believe that everyone can be innovative if we make sure that the incentives are there and the barriers are out of the way. Because at the end of the day, it just stems from curiosity and we're all curious.
0: I really love that. And thanks for thanks for bringing me back to curiosity because I'm really curious. But um, there was an element of outrage because I understand <laughs> the implications of this not happening. And, mm. you know, when you think that, okay, everything that humans use comes more or less out of the ground and we process it and we add value to it and then we transport it to where it's needed. And uh, that value has been hemorrhaged all the way through the roots from source to to where it's intended and in a way waste is just a resource in the wrong place and you know actually mm. it's the way that we and if you go back to communication actually supply chain and the way that we transfer value it's part of our communication as a species if you think about ants and wasps and bees they make up 20 percent of the world's biomass they're extremely successful because they're brilliant at communicating but they communicate bottom up so it's a, an emergent agent based system that so it's bottom up uh, communication and it's very adaptive and going back to the organization, you know we're moving towards more adaptive organizations and slightly you know, it's less hierarchy, but actually, going back to the you know the, the issue that someone's got to put their hand up and to challenge something, it's often because they feel that they're not in the right place in the hierarchy to make that bold statement is that Is that true or is that just you know Absolutely. my perception?
1: Yeah, for anyone who's just listening to the audio and not seeing the video, I'm just like nodding vigorously as you're as you're sharing this. Absolutely. It's about creating this safe space where someone feels like no matter where they are in the hierarchy, no matter to our earlier point, no matter what their background is or their expertise is, if they have a question... Do they feel comfortable raising that question? And a lot of times it's those questions that are going to lead our products, our services, whatever it is, to be better. Um, There was another podcast episode that you did where you were talking about, I think it was maybe with the same uh, gentleman from Nestle, where you were talking about how emerging leaders are much more comfortable not being the expert. They are okay with their team members knowing more about a topic than they do because their role as leaders is to advocate for their team, help ensure that their team is getting resources. Their role is not to have all the answers, to answer every single question, to know exactly what's going to happen next. That is very different from the kind of leader that we maybe uh, appreciated or even honored 50 years ago right? It used to be once you were at the top of your field, you became the manager and you knew how to do everything and people came to you with questions. That is changing. And the organizations that are adapting and are enabling this bottom-up communication, they are the ones that have recognized this and have done some leadership training to ensure that their leaders are comfortable in that space and are encouraging the kind of conversations that they need to have with the folks on their team, their direct reports.
0: I really love that uh, conclusion there. And, uh, you know, I've just occurred to me that maybe curiosity doesn't drive innovation unless we dump fear.
1: Mm, Unless we dump fear. That's right. Because I could be curious. I could have a question. But if I'm afraid of how you're going to respond to my question or how the perception in the room is going to change of me when I ask that question, that curiosity does nothing for us. It does nothing for me, does nothing for my company, my team, our product. Absolutely. So I think fear is a, a huge, huge barrier for a lot of folks. And of course it is. I mean, think even when we were, when we were little kids in, in school, right? And the teacher says, does anyone have a question? And you're, you're so afraid to ask. Some other brave soul does. And you're like, thank goodness they asked that question, <laughs> right? We can all relate to uh, that experience. And so I think it's looking at our organizations and asking that important question of, are we having that experience at our workplace? Is it getting in the way?
0: So fear is one thing. Next thing is having the humility to be prepared to, be,
1: mm. to sound
0: stupid. Because often the most stupid sounding thing is probably the most valuable. <laughs>
1: that's so true. Yeah. I think that's really true. And some of it comes with age and experience, right? I am much more ask, much more comfortable asking questions now than I would have been at the start of my career, because at the start of your career, you're afraid that that question comes from inexperience. Now that question, I know, it just comes from genuine curiosity. Um, but I think you're right. I think there's a little bit of humility there. And I, that's a wonderful kind of... Throw back to how we started this conversation. You know, why do we throw around terms like smart or IoT or whatever it is when we don't even fully understand them is part of it to try to sound like we know what we're talking about? Uh, is it, you know, trying to ease that ego a little bit? And I think there's, you know, maybe something to that.
0: Also, maybe um, just as an extra thought, uh, maybe in this time, these times of complexity and and, mm-hmm. you know, huge uncertainty as a species, as we reach these kind of, you know, these these thresholds of success, let's call it. um, you know, maybe actually, um, you know, there's a, a challenge there to um, reconfigure ourselves um, around. Um, you know, a future, a future mindset and to stop thinking mm-hmm. of ourselves so individualistically and start thinking of ourselves more collectively. And um, I'm mm-hmm. always interested by the job title, um, Innova- head of innovation, because I've always thought of it as a bit of a brutal title, to be honest. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if you look at it this way, if you don't do anything, you get fired. Uh, if you do do something and it goes wrong you get fired and uh, if you do do something and it's great everyone says well you know you get paid thanks for yourself. that thanks a lot <laughs> <laughs> so you know you've got all the risk and all the you know the but little hero uh you know opportunity and um, i think yep. we'll probably try to wrap it up because it's been fairly dense um have you got any further points that you'd like to just add towards the end maybe about purpose, organizational change, and creating a culture for innovation that's not necessarily specific to IoT, but can be applied. Mm-hmm.
1: I love that opportunity to comment on that. Thank you. I, I think I would say that if I tried to summarize all the research that I do, looking at you know tech trends and innovation, how we bring that back down to earth so that more people can participate, because that's how we're going to solve some of the biggest challenges. What I find again and again is that genuinely everyone has a place in this. Every perspective is valuable here, and there is an important piece of you know finding the right people, helping to create and balance the right teams, absolutely, and I'm not saying that that's simple, but I do think it's really, really obvious that everyone has a place in this. More perspectives are better. And the more work we can do to look at our organizations and say, what kind of perspectives are we valuing here? How can we make sure that we're valuing and including more perspectives? And what does it look like to make sure that folks feel comfortable speaking up? That's really important work right now. It can often be really uncomfortable. Uh, It can often be really challenging. But to do one more throwback to a past episode, I remember you saying um, you know, physical pain is a great warning sign. We always try to get rid of it, right? We don't want to experience pain, but there's a a disorder that you can have as a human where you don't feel pain. And it's one of the most terrible and the scariest, right? Inflictions that we can have, because that is your body's engine light. That is how your body stays alive is through these pain signals of, you know, don't touch this. Don't do that. You broke this, go get it checked out. I think the same is true in our organizations. We are going to experience challenges We're going to experience some discomfort as we do this work of including additional perspectives. But rather than leaning away from that, if we can lean into that and ask questions, why is this uncomfortable? Why is this difficult? That is the same thing as when we have uh, something that we experience in our body. We don't just you know, wish it would go away. We try to find a cure for it. And so I would want to maybe leave with that and, and hopefully inspire folks who are listening who have some kind of leadership capacity, really encouraging them to speak up and to recognize that this is maybe one of the important, most important roles that they have right now in their organization is, is making sure that folks have that comfort level speaking up no matter their background.
0: I don't want to do any further wrap up because I don't want to dilute that. And I think that's really, you know, extremely valuable. And I really appreciate you joining us today. Um, It's brought, um, you know, to me certainly, and I hope hope for the audience as well, you know, a new perspective, a new angle on some of the challenges that we face you know, around team building and inclusion and these sorts of things. So I'd like to say thank you so much, uh, Dr. Sarah Glover. You've been really, uh, you know, helpful and informative, I'm sure, to everybody listening. And I look forward to talking to you again sometime. So thank you for joining us.
1: Oh, that means a lot coming from you. I'm a huge fan. Thanks for all you do for the podcast and looking forward to talking to you again soon.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thanks.